Welcome back, everyone. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy again. We are here with episode three of House of Dragon coming at you today. So really exciting stuff. Really happy to jump back into the world of Westeros. I know two weeks ago we started this this big journey to close out season two of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. And you know, last week we we pumped out episode two, and it's just been you know building and building. And we're gonna get some great stuff here today. A lot of moments that come into play later on. A lot of foreshadowing, big events, and you know, just really, really cool to uh, to kind of be able to, be able to break this down and, and give it to you guys. So before we get started today, I'll turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words, and then we're going to dive right into this bad boy. A lot of action today, my man. <laughs> Let's do it. Burning it down like the Jonas Brothers, baby. Let's make it happen. Let's get a malice in the chalice, man. You got it, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Let's get it going. Uh, what do you say I go ahead and take it away? Yeah, yeah, good point. So, you know, obviously I, I took the episode last week, so Chase is going to take us to episode three today. He's going to give us all the ins and outs on the summary. Then we're going to always, like, like always, jump into our debates, our takeaways, all that good stuff. So, yeah, man, go ahead and, and kick us off. Let's do it. So, episode three, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> the dragon is in the back. <laughs> Badass, let's make it happen. So, remember what we were talking about uh, last week and the week before with the Stepstones is finally kicking into gear here with the climax that's going down the, uh, down there uh, causing some problems. So, the Battle of the Stepstones is occurring. Now, at the beginning of this episode, flames are everywhere. We're seeing people being tortured just like we saw a couple weeks ago, crucified on crosses with crabs eating their skin. It's nasty, man. It's gross. And we're seeing the crab feeder is crucifying this man. And this Valyrian knight says, House Valyrian is coming for you. The sea snake will have your poxy fucking head. Fuck you, Prince Drehar. Fuck you and your whore mother and your bastard father. Fuck. No. And as he's crucifying him, soldiers are beginning to shout. And we see Caraxes, baby, the blood worm, swoop down from the sky. He begins to burn everything in his path, lights the area on fire. And the Valyrian Knight is saying, Prince Damon, burn the fucking Triarchy Council alive. Here, my prince, save me. And Caraxes smashes down on the man, ending his life. As he was begging for his savior here. And this episode kicks off on a banger, baby. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. So Caraxes is just burning everything in his path. Trying to burn out Prince Drear, Because we see Prince Drear is kind of like hiding in these caves here. Like a little hermit crab. So punny, I will say. And uh, so Damon is saying, where are you? Come out and face me, Drehar. Come out. I'm going to feed you to your own crabs. Prince Drehar is still hiding. Damon gets hit by this torch arrow in his right shoulders. And at first, you're sitting here thinking, oh shit, like this isn't good. But he brushes it off like the badass he is, like the son of fucking anarchy our boy Prince Damon is. And he gets on with the job, man. And uh, Caraxes is screaming. As he launches off and flies off into the sky. And we're cutting over to the new scene now. 
So keep in mind, I want everyone to know, like on this show, how you've covered with The Witcher and some other episodes, we're having some time jumps here. So we're not exactly in the same, uh, around the same time area that we were last episode. So we've jumped a good bit here. And they're now celebrating Prince Aegon. He is the firstborn son of Alicent and Viserys after they've now been married. And it's celebrating his second name day is what's going on here. A man is arguing with Otto uh, that Aegon should be named heir. And Otto, at this point, this is where I do have a little bit of respect for Otto because he is saying to the man that that the king, Viserys, doesn't see it that way, even though they're trying to see make Otto see that Aegon should be heir at this point. Viserys says, he hasn't seen Rhaenyra. <laughs> well, imagine that. Like, how disrespectful that is. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Kind of disrespectful. Your brother is born. Uh, well, born, and, you know, they're having his birthday party, basically, and she doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> so, at the same time, Viserys is still being reminded of the battle going on in the Stepstones. And uh, our... Otto argues that if the crown intervenes now to help Damon after waiting so long, the kingdom will appear weak. There's one thing I wanted to mention too, not to cut you off here, but uh, the sure. person who was giving the report about the stepstones here is Tyland Lannister. So another there big, like a, another yeah. big house name that's going to come into play, reminding us of the original Game of Thrones uh, series that takes place 172 years later in the timeline of, of Westeros, but. Uh, you know, for us it came first, right? So I just thought it was cool. It's Tyland Lannister, and he also has a brother that's going to come into play in this uh, in this episode, a twin brother, which is kind of cool. So I just wanted to make sure that you know, people you know, understand that the, they, these house names are going to start reoccurring. They're going to sound familiar, and it's really, really cool the way they're doing this. But all I wanted to mention, go ahead, take it away. No, absolutely. That's what I get for being efficient. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's great stuff. So um, at this point, Allison comes out to see Rhaenyra and, you know, she's I thought this was kind of it reminded me of a Witcher moment because she's under the weirwood tree at King's Landing and she's having that guy sing the song under the dragon's eye. And he stops and she's like, play it again. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, what's our boy in the Witcher that's always singing the song? Jaskier, is that how yeah. I say it? Jask yeah. with a J. There you go. It was a very Witcher moment for us here on Factor Fantasy, <laughs> taking us back to our other franchises there. But Allison comes out, and Rhaenyra, she approaches Rhaenyra, and I kind of got this vibe. I want to ask you this question. I kind of feel like Allison is trying to rekindle whatever friendship they had before. Do you feel that way? In this exact moment, yes, I do. And... It, it sucks because she's. Yeah, I know you're about to get into it, but she's basically saying like when they get to the part where she orders her on part of the king, like it doesn't have to be that way. But Rhaenyra is kind of almost acting like a spoiled brat in this moment. We have to keep in mind she's 17 years old, so she's still a teenager and kind of getting her bearings of what adulthood is like a little bit. But yes, I do think she's trying to like rekindle their friendship and try to reason with her, and Rhaenyra's just kind of being you know mean in a, in a way and I, I love the kind of little power struggle that they do here where you know she demands that the singer stay and the queen's like I'm, I'm the queen here like you want to pull rank on me I'll pull rank on you motherfucker <laughs> so I thought that yeah. was pretty cool but yes I do think that was the initial thought it was like she was coming to her as a friend not as the queen to start 
Yeah, I mean, I think you hit that part really perfect, though. I mean, basically what I put here is Alicent winds up ordering Rhaenyra to basically join the party, but Rhaenyra is refusing, and Alicent reminds her that their friendship doesn't need to be that way. Uh, but so during this time, uh, they start to they get on this carriage and begin to travel to this area of celebration. And during the travel, the series tells Rhaenyra that her time will come to have a child. And he asks Rhaenyra to ride out with them during the hunt because they're about to have this big celebration hunt for Aegon's uh, name day here. And she refuses to participate. Kind of uh, definitely um, kind of like when you smart off to your parents when you're a kid because you think like you're the big bad and really, you know, your dad puts you in your place and you're like, wow, I didn't expect it to go that way. <laughs> That's kind of what winds up happening. Anyways, Rhaenyra tells the series that no one is here for her, and they're all here for Aegon. The group winds up getting out of the carriage, except for Rhaenyra, and everyone is praising Aegon. And you can kind of feel at this point that Rhaenyra is very unhappy with the situation. Um, Larry Strong is then introduced. This dude is... A creepy I got the creepy vibe I don't like to judge people did you get the creepy vibe from this guy yeah man he was definitely a, a strange one I'll just say that for now <laughs> it was very weird but uh and like we know. see also we see he's kind of deformed right he has something wrong yeah. with him his his foot's like turning a bad way he's got this weird walking boost so I don't know what exactly is wrong with him but he can't walk properly his like leg is turned inward and he has a walking stick to help him kind of maneuver and get around so th he's got some sort of de uh, deformity or uh some sort of issue with his leg that you know maybe he grew up a little bit different so maybe that helped influence his mindset of feeling ostracized or on the outside looking in and maybe that was, was some of his motives to start doing the things that he will be doing later on in the series not giving anything away but definitely a strange character for sure Absolutely. And that was a good point. You brought that up because that was the reason he kind of gets the way they introduce him here because he can't go out on the hunt because his deformity. Um, but I want to make sure I had this right. Uh, he's the son of Lord Lionel, who is the master of laws, right? He's yeah, his son. he's the youngest son of the master of law, Lionel Strong. That's that's who uh, Lord Laris is. So he's the youngest son of the master of law, Lionel Strong. And, and obviously we know the Strongs are going to come up to play a big role here later on in a couple episodes. So, Oh, yes, they will. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, at this point, it's been years since Rhaenyra has seen Damon. So this is kind of a, another reminder on the timeline jump here. And they tell Rhaenyra whether the crown refuses to admit it. The crown is at war, and they've been dragged into it by Damon and the Sea Snake, who is Corlys Valerian. Um Lord Jason Lannister then introduces himself to Rhaenyra in this next scene. Uh, the Lannisters always trying to throw their money around, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And this is kind of what we were talking about a few minutes ago, how we've got the twin Lannisters, right? Tyland Lannister uh, reports, he's, I don't know if he's on the, he's not on the council itself, but he's someone in the court of importance there in King's Landing. And Jason Lannister, he holds the seat in Casterly Rock. So this is where the Lannisters come into play here, but it's cool. You know, we got twin brothers, Tyland and Jason Lannister, and like you said, it, there's a common theme with them is that they've got money and they don't miss an opportunity to tell you about it. <laughs> so uh, I'll go ahead and get, <laughs> let you take it away. 
This was kind of sleazy, I thought, the way this goes down. Because it kind of reminded me... Tell me if you had this kind of thought in your head. It reminded me of someone at the bar that is trying to impress a girl by wearing, like, the big-ass watch, trying to buy everything in the bar for everybody. It kind of gave me this vibe. Is this what this next scene <laughs> kind of gave you this idea of? Yeah, for sure. Someone who's a little bit insecure with themselves, and so he tries to throw around their you know their last name and the money that they have like oh you know you should be uh, excited to be around me look at all this cool stuff i got you know that kind of (laughs) that type of person yes that's the same vibes i got from jason lannister very yeah yeah the lannisters never cease to impress me that's for sure (laughs) <laughs> so Jason Lannister introduces himself. You know, he's giving Rhaenyra wine, telling her all about Casterly Rock. And now he's from, you know, such a great place. And Jason uh, Lannister mentions building a dragon pit. Uh, I want to make sure I, this is what made me think a couple weeks ago when we were talking about that. The dragon pit, when we saw it, it was it's under construction at this time, I guess. Right. Or it's not quite built yet. See, my understanding was the the dragon pit in King's Landing is fully constructed, and that's where they keep the dragons. And that's why I was confused a couple episodes ago when he had mentioned that it was under construction because he's talking about building a dragon's pit in Casterly Rock. Like he's not talking about the dragon. Okay, pit in that's King's what Landing. threw me off there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so okay. there's no dragon pit right now in Casterly Rock. He's saying he has resources and the means to build one for her. So that way she can join him in Casterly Rock, take her seat there as his wife, as his lady wife. So, yeah, it's not about the King's Landing dragon pit. It's about a dragon pit he's willing to make for her in Casterly Rock. Okay, because that's what confused me there. Okay, perfect, 100%. That's why I wanted to clear that up. But, of course, he's insinuating that he wants to take Rhaenyra as his lady wife um, and and marry her. Uh, Then they go back to the party so Rhaenyra leaves him there and Viserys argues with Rhaenyra that he does not exist above tradition and duty and she must marry someone and Viserys is kind of I guess you can tell he's uh, annoyed I would say with her rebellion she's been doing recently did you get that vibe yeah she's basically it seemed to me that he feels she's been doing things out of spite like you know, she's just kind of being a rebellious teenager and trying to make her own way. But he doesn't understand why. And, like, we get it. Obviously, I mean, think about when they all arrived there where they were celebrating Aegon's second name day. That one dude that told Otto that Aegon should be heir just screams out, hey, here's the Aegon on the second name day. And he like, starts clapping, and everyone's like, she even said it. Like, these people aren't here for me. You know, they're here because this is your firstborn son. So... For us, it's very easy to see, and maybe as a father, I'm I'm not a father, so I don't know. But maybe you don't. It's it's hard to understand where your children are coming from when they're upset. And you know, for us, like I said, very clear that she feels threatened by uh, the the child, the the, you know Aegon, you know the second of his name, because he's the first true-born son of King Viserys, and traditionally, the first-born son becomes the heir to the throne. So. She feels her position is threatened, and that's why we're gonna, they're, they're going to start having this you know, issue going forward. Absolutely. So uh, then at this point, Otto tells Viserys that there has been a sighting of a white heart stag uh, at the king of, kings, of the king in the Kingswood, 
which is a royal potent for Prince Aegon's name day, which is what this is for. It's kind of like a celebration piece of importance, right? The white stag. Yeah, um, it, it's what's kind of cool. It, it's a he called it a portent, like a sign or an omen in a way. That's what that means. And thinking that this regal creature, the white heart, symbolizes the the rise of. Aegon the second, he tells him that you know this day of all days, your grace, we're seeing like a white heart. It's a rarity. It's almost as if you know you're going on a safari hunt and you kill the biggest lion and you, you take it back. It's like this trophy. It's this you know you, you feel because it rules the gods wood or, or whatever the kings wood. I'm sorry, this white heart rules the kings wood. It's like the the big bad of the of the forest, and so that appearing there during this time period, and they are on a hunt for it, and that's that kind of is a symbolism in a way uh, that hey we we're we're here and this king of this forest makes its appearance today of all days so it's almost like a sign or an omen that they're they're uh, excited about absolutely well Rhaenyra gets upset and hauls ass off <laughs> literally gets on a white stallion hauls ass off into the woods Kristen Cole has to chase her down, gets on a horse, and this is where their little spark starts to fly, <laughs> because he's chasing her down in the woods there, and um, eventually Kristen Cole catches up to her, and Kristen suggests that they should go back to camp, but Rhaenyra suggests that it's a beautiful day, and they should go visit the Kingswood, which means, you know, just go off into the woods, basically. Um, and so this is where they start to get to know each other. And Viserys is told that the White Heart is a sign of royalty and importance, and they have Scout tracking it. So they're really looking forward to catching this white stag. And uh, Jason Lannister presents Viserys a spear that he's had forged in honor of Prince Aegon. And uh, we see where this is going. So also like Jay let's yeah. let's talk about this spear for a second what is it mm -hmm. made out of right it's made out of lannister gold that we've been seeing for years so Absolutely. just uh <laughs> that's all i want to add to that no 100 percent um and i did want to go into the dialogue here because this brings up uh this is where you start seeing Viserys kind of getting upset with this so jason lannister says i hope it might provide the killing strike against your white heart and Jason proposes his betrothal to Rhaenyra. And Jason says, What I offer you, the crown and your daughter's strength, Viserys, do you think that House Targaryen wants for strength? Jason, if someone offered you more dragons, would you not take them? Do you have dragons to offer? Casterly Rock is a splendid seat. Rhaenyra may take her place there by my side without shame, and I feel and feel herself well compensated for her loss in station. What loss of station? If you were to name young Aegon heir, your grace, and when would I be doing that? I, I assumed as your firstborn son, many of us assume, many of us, you say, have your bannermen questioned my choice of heir? Uh, of course not, your grace. It is your sworn duty to report rebellion stirring in my kingdom. Rebellion? There, there has been nothing of the sort, your grace. I did not decide to name Rhaenyra my heir on a whim. All the lords of the kingdom would do well to remember that. Thank you for the gift. 
and then Jason leaves. And that's a big point. Imagine if you had the king staring in your face, accusing you of rebellion. Uh, I would be very cautious on the words I chose <laughs> conversing there. And another part of that, too, let me just think back to what Jason was saying. He said that they had assumed as Aegon is Viserys' firstborn son, so he, he's not the only one. He said many of us had assumed. They are thinking that because they're all brought here to, to, together today to celebrate the second name day, I guess the custom back then is on the second name day when you leave infancy that you are going to be named heir. So they are all assuming this is going to happen. And this, uh, you know, for us, we're thinking about Rhaenyra here. No wonder she's upset. She kind of has an idea of what everyone's thinking and what everyone wants to have happen. And the king, it seems like the king is a little bit oblivious and just doesn't pay attention because he acted like it was out of the clear blue sky that he would even uh, say such a thing. He's like, when, when would I be doing this loss of station here? So, uh, or giving Rhaenyra, or taking Rhaenyra for a loss of station. So, I don't know, man. It was just really interesting that he, that he doesn't seem to know what's going on in his own kingdom. You know, he he's a, seems one of those kings that are, are content to sit around, play with his model of old Valyria with his dragons, <laughs> like the stones of the dragons there, just chilling and playing with his toys. And, you know, I don't know if he really has an idea of how much turmoil this is going to cause the realm. He just, in his mind, this didn't even cross it, that his son was born and that now there's some level of contention of who's going to take the throne. So, uh, he in his mind, he... he Cut it. He what do you call it? Snipped it out the bud when he named Rhaenyra heir, and he thought, "Hey, I named her heir. Everyone swore fealty to her, and that's it." But now that the son's born, everyone's like, "Hey, dude, that's your son. Sons take the throne when fathers pass away. Are you gonna make this official or what?" And he's just like la di da di da in his head, and then now now he's starting to realize, "Shit, this is gonna cause a problem." And obviously, we're gonna see how much this gets into his head a little bit here pretty soon but yeah absolutely imagine though too if you're one of these people that are you know they know the lannisters but you came from one of these houses that aren't exactly close by like maybe you're in a house that's near like esso somewhere and you got invited to this thing so you're sitting here thinking yeah we're making this long trip because you know this is going to be our king one day and then you get there and then jason lannister is telling us what telling all these people what happened just in chit chat and you're like, why the fuck am I even here? Like, I took this big-ass trip for a two-year-old's birthday party? I could have sent a gift with a raven or some shit. Like, I just wasted all this money to travel all the way across the world to see this be our new king. And now, like, why the fuck am I even here? Yeah, that's a great point, dude. <laughs> I, you know, I got nothing to say on it. <laughs> that's, I, I can only imagine like they'd be a bit annoyed. <laughs> So uh, after this, so Otto asks about Jason's proposal and says Rhaenyra will do as he commands. Like once again, insinuating, you know, if you don't like Rhaenyra's decisions here, well, you are the king. You can make it happen. But Viserys goes and says he doesn't wish to command Rhaenyra. He wants this to be Rhaenyra's decision. But Otto proposes. This is a very interesting proposal. And I think this goes into what you were saying uh, a couple weeks ago and last week. I think Otto does to extent does what he thinks is best for the realm because otherwise he would have never said this and this is a big point he proposes that Viserys marries Aegon to Rhaenyra and of course Viserys kind of like laughs it for a minute and is like the child's only two 
even though which is really interesting because the valyrian's daughter wasn't very much older <laughs> so that's i find that interesting but i'm just gonna leave it at that but um the series at this point gets upset with Otto for requesting this and i guess he's just finally upset with all these people making proposals about rhaenyra and Otto just says we'll speak no more of it handles it the right way i think because in my opinion i don't think my problem here with Viserys is for someone that just like he said in episode one you know it's a dangerous spot being on the throne and you got to know how to handle situations like this. It's not like these people are being nasty to you. They're just trying to do what, trying to give you the best advice possible. And he just like blows up out of nowhere. What do you think of this? I thought this was in, insane. I, I also think it had to do with a little bit of wine that he was drinking. He was consuming <laughs> a little bit uh, too much wine, I think. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I I think he just got, he felt the pressure. I think he felt enclosed as if he wasn't able to breathe because he got Jason Lannister in his face thinking that he should be able to marry Rhaenyra and talking about how they got a name. They, they all assumed that he was going to name Aegon Air. You got Otto over here sitting there telling him like, hey, how about you wed your 17-year-old daughter to my two-year-old grandson? Like, you know, it's just, uh, I, I I mean, I, I get it. I, I would feel very impressed. Like, we're here to enjoy a celebration and all this fucking politicking is getting to him. Just like he said, he even said that this politic is fucking choking me. He grabs it. It's just, you know, yeah. he was getting, I think he felt the pressure. Absolutely. So at this point, the series is actually informed that Rhaenyra, to help the pressure a little more, <laughs> ran off and Kristen Cole is trying to get her back and bring her back. Um, it doesn't help the situation. And then Lionel Strong recommends that Rhaenyra marry Corlys Valerian's son to bring their alliance back, despite being criticized at first, where he was at first like, the series says, Oh, I'm assuming you want Rhaenyra to marry your son, uh, Lord. What was his name? Breakbones, Breakbones, something. So, this is huge. This is actually a really big foreshadowing, big moment. His firstborn son is Sir Harwin Strong, but Breakbones yeah. was Breakbones was his nickname. So Sir Harwin Breakbones Strong, because he's considered the strongest knight in the Seven Kingdoms. And obviously, he's going to play a big role in the next few episodes. So this is the first we really hear about him is, uh, you know, he's known as Sir Harwin Breakbones Strong, and he's considered the strongest knight in the Seven Kingdoms. But like you mentioned, that wasn't... Li that's why we all really enjoyed Lionel Strong. He was the one that's been giving Viserys pretty decent advice. He was the one that went back and said, no, Viserys, you should you should go ahead and marry Lena Velaryon so that way you can strengthen it back then. That was good advice. He probably should have done that. We had a debate about it a couple weeks ago. And then... This is his next move is, and he's not self-serving, trying to get his son in a good position. He said, "No, you should marry her to Lenor Valarian to repair that relationship because you yep. know that they're starting to give us a little bit of issues. The the sea snake, Lord Corlys Valarian, they're starting to become like a little bit of a thorn on our side. Let's repair this relationship and strengthen the kingdom." Absolutely, and here's a big point. At the very end, Lionel says, "We must pray, of course, that Lenor." survives the fighting in the stepstones so now we have a reminder of that imagine how that would have fucked shit up if he had died 100 percent. and the really cool part is 
that was Lionel's way of nudging the king to do something about it, like sending aid. That was his way of, hey, you, you know, if we can't have this marriage, if Lenor's dead, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like help them out, dude. <laughs> like send some, send some reinforcements because if they died, they, 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 all this is for nothing. So that was his way of trying to steer Viserys in the direction of we need to send aid and get the Stepstone stuff taken care of. That way, we can move forward. We can wed Laenor to Rhaenyra, and we'll strengthen the realm this way. But it's not going to happen if Laenor's dead. And Laenor is fighting daily in the Stepstones. He's got a very good chance of not making it out. And they're losing this war really badly. So if you sent some aid, it would go a long way to repairing the relationship and showing the kingdom strength. So that's what I took away from it anyways. Great point. So uh, now we're back with Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole. <laughs> nice little spark here getting together. Anyways, uh, so Kristen Cole recommends that Rhaenyra and him return to camp. Rhaenyra refuses, of course, and asks Kristen Cole if the crown will ever accept her as queen. And this is a big point. Kristen Cole says they will have no choice but to, princess. Kind of big foreshadow there. Um, but... And then at this point we have a warthog. Pumbaa comes out of the woods. I don't know where Tavon was, man. <laughs> I thought it was a boar. I think it was a wild boar. Okay, maybe it was a boar. I don't know. I was I was yeah. looking for Mufasa somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's somewhere in the savanna. That's somewhere in Essos. Yeah, I don't think um, it was a warthog. I think it was a wild boar because wild boars are nasty. And you know, remember the wild boar took down good old Robbie Baratheon back in the day. Bobby B, baby, he took down Bobby oh, B. Big point. <laughs> so <laughs> big just, point, full circle. There, yeah, right? exactly, a little bit. And honestly, for the size, that was a nasty boar, and it wasn't that big. So you can only imagine the big, big boars that they go after. But anyways, I'll let you continue on. Yeah, that was that was awesome. But basically, yeah, so this boar comes out of the woods and is attacking. First, like, knocks Kristen Cole down and then jumps on Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole stabs it. And you think this thing is dead. And it gets back up again and tries to jump on Rhaenyra. And she pulls out a knife and is just stabbing it over and over and over until finally it dies, but blood is just all over her face. I was kind of wondering, I couldn't really pick up on anything, but it almost seemed like a foreshadowing or like symbolism or something by this. Did you get anything like that out of that? 100%. To me, that was symbolism of when she loses control, she loses control. And I wondered yeah. that that's going to, when she's pushed to a certain edge, uh, this is going to be a reoccurring way of action for her that she just goes further than necessary, so to speak. That's the symbolism that I drew from it, that this is something we've got to keep an eye on. If she's pushed to a certain extreme, is she going to like lose her mind? And it seems as though that's the case. Yeah, that's uh, very interested to see <laughs> in the seasons to come, sir. <laughs> Anyways, but great, great point. That was awesome. Um, so back to the series. So he's talking to Allison. And he's had a few today. He's he's had a few. <laughs> and this is yeah. probably the biggest moment overall in this episode. Yes, there's some cool action that's still to come and all that. But in this specific episode, this dialogue and conversation between Viserys and Allison is super important for the future of this series because th this is where I believe he almost 
convinces Allison in a way that what Otto wants is likely what's best for the realm. And she's starting, she was, because she was full team Rhaenyra. You know, Allison was Rhaenyra's right. best friend. And she was totally cool with it. Even after this, she has a discussion with her dad, and you know she's still on the fence about it so much. But I think this is this is where maybe it really entered her mind that shoot, maybe maybe Viserys is reconsidering his position on certain decisions he's made. And I'll just say that for now, and I'll let you go through the dialogue. Yeah, no, excellent point. Uh, so this dialogue, so you know he's holding his glass. Uh, having a sip here and there, but um, he says, Viserys says, I picked, in regards to Rhaenyra, I picked her to protect the realm from Damon. She was my only child, the realm's delight. I named her out of love because I n- no longer believed. Allison sent, sent, says, believed what, my love? Viserys says, many in my line have been dragon riders. Very few among us have been dreamers. What is the power of a dragon? Allison starts to say, The hour is too late, husband. The series. When Rhaenyra was a child, I saw it in a dream. As vivid as these flames, I saw it. A male babe born to me, wearing the conqueror's crown. And I so wanted it to be true, to be a dreamer myself. I saw that vision again, night after night, but it never came again. I poured all my thought and will into it, and my obsession killed Rhaenyra's mother. Allison says Viserys, Viserys. I thought Rhaenyra was my way out of my abyss of grief and regret, and naming her heir would begin to set things right. I never imagined I would remarry, that I would have a son. What if I was wrong? And then that's when the horns blow and Viserys just tosses his wine out on the fire. But that's a big point. I'll let you go into that dialogue there. Yeah, for sure. This is a point. And even Allison was saying was letting him know he made the right choice because when he said I thought Rhaenyra was the way out of my abyss of grief and regret and naming her heir would begin to set things right Allison agreed she said it did and that's when Viserys says I never imagined I'd remarry that I would have a son what if I was wrong he's questioning his decision if he should keep Rhaenyra as his heir right now or not and this little bit of hesitancy is going to go a long ways now because Allison never said anything after obviously the horn started blowing but she she never said anything after he questioned himself what if I was wrong so now maybe she's starting to question what if he was wrong you know and obviously later in this episode she has a little uh, one on one with her daddy Uh, Allison and Otto have a little bit of a conversation and I'll leave that for when you get to it but I just think it's it's a really big moment it's it's Viserys questioning himself on the biggest decision he's ever had to make in his life and he never wavered on it he never he thought it was all hunky-dory but now the pressure's starting to get to him and he's wondering shit did i make the wrong choice what should i do going forward and it doesn't help like you mentioned he had a few glasses of wine he was a little tipsy and you know yeah you always get a little bit more emotional and introspective when you know alcohol is involved so we'll see if he feels the same way in the morning and where this goes from here but yeah that's all i want to mention about it it reminded me of those damage control nights. You wake up and you're like, man, that was a great night. Everyone around you is like, that was not a great night. It's <laughs> a rough night for you, sir. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, so at this point, a stag is found. 
but the big point here is this stag is not white. Um, not a white stag animal. So. There's, there's like two things I noticed. Because earlier in this episode, and I know it wasn't really important, so we didn't stop and mention it, but they had found the droppings of this white stag and picked it up and realized it was fresh, and the men that were reporting to Viserys were telling him, yo, this thing is 35 stone at least. It's, it's Basically, it's a really huge animal. It's monstrous. And yes, the stag was relatively big that they cornered, but it was much smaller than they were making it out to be when they were talking about it earlier and like you had mentioned it wasn't white so it wasn't the white heart and i think and i want to get your take on this as well this could have been a level of symbolism the fact that the kings all the king's men and people that were there to celebrate aegon and potentially him being named heir that white heart didn't appear to them it didn't show up to them only the the big brown one did and it's a good it's a good trophy it's a good kill but it's not the prize, right? So I think maybe this is right. a level of symbolism of maybe the the gods look down and because Otto said something along the lines of what could further show the gods' favor than you know the appearance of the white heart on this day, and unfortunately they didn't get the white heart. Uh, someone else, the white heart appears to someone else, and that's all I'll say is maybe this was a way of telling us who who were the right choice for air was going forward, and you know who has a close and decent claim to it, but maybe not the right person overall. I, that's a lot. Maybe I'm thinking way too much into it, but that's a level of symbolism I drew is that this really big, huge deer, it's brown, it's not white, and it's not as large as what they had anticipated. It's a really good trophy and really great kill, but it's not the prize. And maybe that was a way uh, of letting everyone know. Aegon, great name. Got a great stock, but you shouldn't be the one that we all turn to. And that's all I'll say. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I think uh, with what happens in just a little bit that we'll talk about, I think there's something we can even bring symbolism even further with that. But I, th I think you're right. I absolutely think that's right. Uh, and remember what we were talking about before with that conversation with Viserys. Remember that mention of the dream wearing it. Uh, wearing Aegon the Conqueror's crown. That's a big one, too, for foreshadowing. But uh, So Harwin Strong says, He may not be white, Your Grace, but he's a big lad. And Jason Lannister hands Viserys the spear. Uh, and then Viserys stabs this stag. This was... See, I'm an animal lover, so this was, like, heartbreaking for me. Like, this was horrible. Like, you were, like, stabbing this thing, this animal to death and it was like an agonizing death too is very sad but he kills the stag and um then this is going into what jay nelly was talking about here so we go over to rhaenyra and Kristen cole back where they're off on their little adventure in the kingswood and the white stag appears badass massive and rhaenyra and Kristen cole are horseback and on this hillside and it's there and Rhaenyra lets it go free. And here's what I want to bring up here. You know, the white stag, like just like how unfortunately uh, it was horrible, they killed that stag that was there. It's like almost like a gift for the prince. So imagine how almost like 
an fu like disrespectful that is it's like let it go free like we're not bringing that thing back <laughs> like to support him did you get that vibe at all i didn't but it's a good point you brought up i don't know if she had that thought process when she saw it or if she just thought that it was such a beautiful creature that she couldn't bring herself to kill it you know it's a it's this rare and i almost <clears throat> almost is a way of maybe she saw herself in that white heart a little bit you know this, this rare person i should say rare being that might be misunderstood and uh, you know but a good symbolism of hope and whatever for whatever the white heart means to the king's would she might i think it was more along those lines but it very well could be a slap in the face to the the people celebrating Aegon's birthday hey you know we're letting this thing go because we're not gonna let them have this you know they they want to celebrate without me they want to cheer for people that aren't me i'm their queen i'm gonna be their queen so we're not gonna give them anything else to you know celebrate for Aegon. we're not gonna we're not gonna do this but yeah like you mentioned chris and cole pulled out that sword ready to kill it if he needed to and, and rainier is a no like let it go and so i thought that was cool but my level of symbolism that I came to with that, and you could probably draw the conclusion for what I mentioned earlier, this really rare, large, beastly, kingly, majestic animal shows itself to Rhaenyra, and she's well away from the hunting party for the brown stag, which is sizable, looks good, but it's not the white stag, but it appeared to her. So maybe, and then when, when, because when Otto Hightower was saying if, if the gods were going to show their favor, then what better way to show it than you know like this? And if the gods did show their favor, they showed it to Rhaenyra, and so that's what I'll I'll say there. That that was my symbolism that I picked up from it. No, absolutely, I agree with you a hundred percent. So Rhaenyra comes back to the camp where everyone's at with Kristen Cole, and they have the dead pig. <laughs> that's there what a ooh, what a prize and here's a little foreshadowing moment harwin strong nods to her so just want to bring that up um otto then tells alicent as he goes to see her that night that she has ended 15 years of uncertainty and doubt when Aegon was born and he was meant to rule the seven kingdoms here's a big point i want to say here too because he says he reminds alicent if Rhaenyra became queen, the realm would tear itself apart because she is a woman and it's Aegon that's being robbed because making him not king is to deny the laws of gods and men. I actually want to read the entire dialogue between them because I also thought that this was super important. So I'm going to take it Go from it. quote to quote. So starting with Otto speaking to Alicent, he says, When you bore the king a son, you ended 15 years of uncertainty and doubt. Aegon, like his namesake, was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms. If Viserys were to name him heir, the realm would fate him for it. Does this not please you? Do you not want your son to be king? And Alicent says, what mother wouldn't? Otto replies, you mustn't ignore the certain truth that if Rhaenyra were to step over Aegon to ascend the throne, the realm would tear itself apart. And Alicent says, they all swore obeisance to her our house among them kind of almost taking a shot at him saying yo this is kind of treason even having this level of conversation we swore fealty our house itself swore fealty to Rhaenyra and Otto responds that was before Aegon and Allison says Rhaenyra will be a good queen to which Otto replies it wouldn't matter if she were Jaehaerys himself born again Rhaenyra is a woman 
Allison says, What of my son? Would you have me raise a man to steal his own sister's birthright? And Otto replies, It is Aegon that's being robbed. He's the firstborn son of the king. To deny that he is heir to the throne is to assail the laws of gods and men. The road ahead is uncertain, but the end is clear. Aegon will be king, and you must guide Viserys towards reason. He will never find it on his own. So he's starting already the coup. Like He's starting to put the plan into motion of Aegon is going to be the king one day. We're just going to have to figure out how that's going to go. Like, like The end is certain. It's just the journey like, like, that is going to take some navigating. So he's already planning on supplanting Rhaenyra, which is kind of fucked up. But uh, anyways, I'll let you go ahead and continue on. No, absolutely. And my point here, though, is I think... Uh, the reason I want to bring this up is because I think a lot of people that I talk to, which there's no problem with this. You can pick whatever side you want. This is why I sit right in the middle. I don't really pick a side. But I think so many people are against the Greens because of, of course, this whole thing. They're trying to see Aegon made king. But if you look at it from the perspective of it's also the it's kind of fucked up because imagine this. I'm going to make a Lion King reference because I know you're the Lion King guy. What if Simba, Simba was born and Mufasa said, fuck you, your sister's going to be heir. You, I'm not taking you out to go hunting and teaching you about the Pride Lands. Your sister is going to be queen. How would you feel about that? I mean, I would be okay with it given you know today's time. But keep in mind, this is a fantasy patriarchal archal society. Well, first off, Simba never had a sister. Uh, but anyways, even <laughs> yeah. even if he did, it, it, if it was shown, it would have to be an older sister for this to kind of correlate properly. You know what I mean? Because Rhaenyra was born before mm-hmm. Aegon, so it's not like it would be completely different if Aegon was born first and then Rhaenyra was born, and <laughs> Viserys is like, "All right, we're gonna go ahead and give Rhaenyra the throne, even though you're my firstborn son, and you were born first. Like that'd be really fucked up. Then you really, yeah, you know, that'd be fucked. Yeah, up. Yeah, that'd be yeah. really, that'd be a really <laughs> tough situation. So I don't, I don't necessarily see the direct correlation there with, you know, Simba and any potential siblings he had, unless <laughs> you know, we're, I just think that was a weird way to to, to bring. You're that. the Lion King guy, man. You're I understand. It's just like, it doesn't correlate properly, only because number one, Simba didn't have any siblings, and if it if it did, it would have to be something like the sister being born first and Simba being like, "Hey, I'm I'm the next male." Uh, air here i'm the only one that's gonna grow a mane i'm the only one that's got a dick in this pride They're like why do i get to be the king you know and i don't know i just don't i don't see it that way well played I, sorry i was thinking nala was his sister at first i forgot yeah she's just in the little cave there <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's i mean i'm sure that they're related in some way because usually male lions slept with everyone in the pride and they'd have the inner you know whatever inner family whatever but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that Nalo. Obviously, I actually I know for a fact Nalo was not born to um, Sarabi. She was born to Serafina, which is another one of the female lions in the pride. So wouldn't be uh, Simba's direct sister, regardless. But I'm sure they're probably cousins. <laughs> Anyways, that's not the point. Way off topic. <laughs> My point being was like, do you feel that Aegon would feel as he was growing up that he was robbed because in this patriarchal society? they assume that he's supposed to be the heir is my point here i don't know it's tough i don't know if robbed is the way i would put it i 
I thing is, is this child is so young. It's two years old, and and obviously we're we're seeing this from a perspective of we are pretty much caught up. We are caught up with where the series is at, so we kind of know what Aegon turns into a little bit, like how he is as an individual, and how he is as an individual is not really indicative of a good king. I would say, you know what I mean. So it's hard for me to say is did he get robbed or not. Just because Rhaenyra was of age now. She's 17 years old. She's a woman grown, as they like to say in, in that time period. And she's much more on the path and been around the court and been around people making decisions. She sits on small council meetings. You know, she's just more equipped for it at this juncture in time. And so you're going to have to really make a good case for Aegon to jump right into those kind of deals because Viserys doesn't seem like he's going to be around for very long because we start and this is something we're probably going to talk about just in a few minutes he has this skin condition or this disease that seems to be uh, progressing and so it's how long is Viserys really going to be around and then you start thinking you know at that point it would Aegon even be ready to be king regardless so I don't know I can't simply say that it's a easy he was robbed it's more of along the lines to me of in my mind Rhaenyra is more suited to the crown at this point in time because the, the, she was born into it and she's been around it for 17 years and this child's two years old <laughs> you know we got a long ways to figure out if this guy's got the temperament I mean, remember remember what Lord Varys said in the original Game of Thrones series like, when a Targaryen's born the gods slip a coin and you know depending on where it lands if they're going to become like a mad like someone who's mad or a good individual you know it's, it's a 50 50 shot so who knows but I, I it's tough for me to say he was robbed i don't know what do you think about it uh see the problem is i want to answer this question with something that happens in the later episode so i really can't i i don't i think i wouldn't say I guess the word is more disappointing. I, I can't say it was really robbed because it was already planned for Rhaenyra to be heir before he was born. However, I could see the outside influencers. I mean, they didn't. I don't know if they went to school or whatever they did during this time. But like the people he grew up with, I could see them saying like, "Don't you think that's fucked up, man? Like your sister's taking your shit." <laughs> like I could see like someone saying that as he's growing up. But uh, it's hard for me to say who's really robbed of this. But I could definitely see like outside influencers making him grow up feel like he wasn't. Um, he wasn't given the tools for his fullest potential i guess that's the proper words does that make sense yeah i think one thing you said really resonated and is a really good point that the plan was already in place before Aegon was born that's a really good you know thing to bring up that's a, that's a fact this was already planned ahead of time so yeah now I'm, I'm with you man 100%. So, moving right along past the Lion King, we've gave that the role. <laughs> Your own factor fantasy. Anyways, so um, at this point, uh, Alicent, um, at this point, Alicent in discusses Rhaenyra with Viserys and says that she believes Rhaenyra will be, will marry, but she believes it will be her choice, kind of giving more uh, Viserys confidence there. And Viserys tells Alicent, 
that he received a letter from Vayman Valerian. He's going to play a big role. Um, and he is fighting in the Stepstones. And the letter describes how Corlys and Damon are losing the war badly, and they're pleading for aid. And Allison is saying, you know, this is a plea for aid. Why not send it? And Viserys says, because it's a war started by two malcontents, unhappy with the decisions I made, if I now provide Damon and Corlys succor, what will that say of their king? Allison says, perhaps that he is a good man that loves his brother. And Viserys says, well, if you truly believe that, my dear, you possess a generous spirit. And Allison says, what do you believe, Viserys? Viserys, that I am forever doomed to anger one person and pleasing of another. Then I am. I pose to a simpler question. Is it better for the realm if the crab feeder thrives or is vanquished? That was Allison. Viserys then decides to send the letter to Damon and request it hand be delivered by his man. Rhaenyra at this point then meets with Viserys and asks why everything is always... Uh, Viserys asks why everything is always an issue with her. And Rhaenyra begins to argue back and says now that Aegon is born, he has no use for her anymore. And Viserys then uh, re-basically installs her confidence and says, promises Rhaenyra that she will not be supplanted and that, yes, it is their duty to make alliances and that she must marry at some point. But if she doesn't want to be betrothed to someone then seek one out on her own so that she can make the decision. The series says, Rhaenyra, I did waver one time, but I swear to you now on your mother's memory, you will not be supplanted. So now we're over in the... Did you want to say something about that? Only thing... I'm actually going to bring it up later on, but about what this means and what I think Viserys could have done that would have really ended up probably ended a lot of this controversy before it even started but I, th- I do think this is a very important moment he promises her your position here is is secure you're not you're not going to be disinherited you will you will remain the heir to the iron throne but you know we'll talk a little bit more about that later on um, after we get through the summary absolutely so we're back in the step zones baby stepping back into the battlefield let's fucking go so Corlys Valerian at this, they're basically having a war council that we always talk about here on this show. Corlys Valerian says, we have 16, perhaps 18 seaworthy ships, 700 foot some 60 nights. Our food quickly is dwindling to save for what we can fish from the sea. I would say within a fortnight, perhaps a bit longer with strict rationing. I made a call for drip market to send more ships, but they will be weeks away. We are faltering, and the Triarchy knows it. We must press the attack, continuing descending the dragons. Lenor says, It's pointless, father. The crab feeder created a choke point here, beyond these dunes. Anchors hold the high positions, foot soldiers hold the ground. We've strafed them on dragonback again and again, but they just retreat into the caves, like we were talking about earlier. Damon Valyrian then says dragons can circle bloodstone until they fall out of the sky the crab feeder and his men have no reason to leave those caves meaning they won't get them out lanor reminds him and says we must give them one an offering of flesh to bait the crab corley says who and then joffrey valerian shouts into the sky and says the dragon's returning 
and Caraxes begins to swoop down the Bloodworm, baby. And who the fuck gets off that dragon that's walking up like a damn badass? We know exactly who. Vayman says, yes, who? Which man here will happily go to his death? Show me the knight who will march into the hell pit, nephew. I will show you a madman. Lenor says, Damon. And Vayman Valyrian starts being pissed. Damon is why we are losing. Lenor says, he at least is fighting this war. What role have you played in this council, uncle, other than master of complaints? Corlys, enough, Lenor. And Vayman says, if King's Landing will not support Damon, why should any of us? And walking down in his armor, Corlys said, blood or no Vayman, I will not have you stroke, stoke mutiny. And stops Vayman there. Uh, and Damon throws down his gloves, removes his helmet like a fucking badass he is. Not giving a shit. Vayman says, if you do not seize control of this war soon, my lord, the crabs will soon dine on all of us. And then the letter is delivered to Damon by Viserys' man uh, in, in this episode. And Damon reads the letter, pauses, smiles, hands it back, and just beats the shit out of the guy. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Holy shit. And here's what the letter said. Brother, I have ordered ten and 2,000 men to set sail from King's Landing to join the effort in the Stepstones. Though time and circumstance have seen us estranged, know that it is not my desire to see you fail in your cause. It is instead my hope that this aid will deliver the victory that has thus far evaded us. I shall pray nightly to the gods for your safe return. Damon is rowing his little rowboat canoe out to the island by himself like the madman he is the rogue prince baby he starts walking on the island he sees the bodies nailed to the cross the corpses of the skeletons that have been eaten by the crabs and he walks to the hilltop on the island there holds a white flag waving it in surrender with Dark Sister, he kneels down and puts it above his head in two hands. The crab feeder looks out from the cave. And this is a big point. His skin is like melted to his armor. And I, uh, a lot of people have wondered whether or not that's actually a piece of the Sons of a Harpies mask. So I thought that was interesting if you think of it that way. But point being, he's melted to shit. He's definitely gone through some shit. Well, I think, and I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's got grayscale. Isn't isn't that what he has? That's I think that is the the scars and the way his skin looked looked a lot like people with grayscale back in Game of Thrones. He I've had that question brought to me before. I'm honestly not sure. Like I'll have to. I mean that could be a lot of this too. A lot of people don't know. Um, so even Fire and Blood is more about the actual dance. A lot of people don't know this. George R. R. Martin wrote this side book called The Rogue Prince, and that's more about Damon's life. And they've pulled a lot of that from there. I haven't read that book, so maybe that's in there at some point. I honestly don't know. I need to do more research on it. He could. His skin just looked nasty to me. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> it, it just looked a lot... Very, it looked very similar to when... Um, what's his name? Jorah Mormont was taken to the citadel and and when sam tarley was peeling that shit off of him it it looked very similar to that so 
Uh, I think it, it very well could be grayscale, and maybe that's why he was so adamant about taking over the Stepstones with the Triarchy because he didn't have very long to do it. He wanted to. He looked like his mind was gone too. You, you notice he wasn't saying any words. He would just nod his head and like move, make movements. But who knows? I think he might have had grayscale, and it was at its most advanced stage, and it was going to kill him regardless. So he might as well have, you know, made one you know, move for glory before it finally overtook him. But again, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, so at this point, you know, Damon's kneeling down and they have all the arrows pointed at him. And uh, he's in a tough spot. And uh, the crab feeder's commander comes up and takes Dark Sister. But Damon's not done yet, baby. He reaches down with a knife, cuts... Uh, the commander and he stabs him in the leg and then he grabs dark sister back cuts through three men and darts his way to this like it was like a remnants of a boat slash fortress this wooden like shelter thing what would you call that thing he was gunning for i don't know what to call it but it was to me it symbolized the middle of the island. So he was drawing, what he was trying to do was pretty clear. He was trying to put their plan into motion of drawing everyone out of the caves. So they'll, they'll have as many of the bad guys out or the triarchy. They have as many of the triarchy out in, in like vulnerable because they think they can take him. And obviously he's the only one that could pull this off because he's the only one that'd be worth, taking prisoner and killing since he's the prince of dragonstone right so that's that was the whole thought process behind this is i'm gonna go to the middle and draw out everyone that i possibly can and ideally what's gonna happen is uh you know we'll we'll get some backup at the right time and i'm not gonna say anything else i'm gonna let you go through it but that that he would that little area with the broken wooden ship and all the little stuff around it just to me symbolized the middle of the island like this is where he's going to make his final stand and so that way everyone has to come out to get him if they're going to get him badass so and, and i call this one the kamikaze run you know we had the recon run this is the kamikaze run the Damon dodge is what we call this one the Damon dodge baby this motherfucker dodges four waves of arrows. <laughs> it's like I've never seen anything like this in my life. The Damon Duck Roll Dodge, baby. Loose. And they're all coming at him. And as they're coming at him, he slays down eight men in front of him before he gets to that center platform and dives under it. Absolutely badass. He eventually gets hit by an arrow in the leg. You know, I mean, I'm surprised he made it this long. Well, he crawls under the platform. I didn't see it hit his leg. I saw one catch him in the side and one catch him in the shoulder. Those are the two that Maybe I Maybe it I was saw. his side. I thought it was his leg. Yeah, because he, he pulled them. it out of his side, and then the other one caught him in the shoulder, and he broke the end off of it on the, the shoulder okay, plate. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah, I did say he got caught by two shoulder. arrows, but one caught him in the side, one caught him in the shoulder. At least that's what I saw. Yeah, no. Point being, he gets hit by an arrow. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, and just like you said, though, he crawls under the platform like the badass P is, like Rambo himself rips that shit off. But he's still in hell or high water right now. And uh, the crab fiender looks up and then hears a noise, 
and then another wave of soldiers is running towards Damon's position. And Damon eventually, like you were saying before, becomes surrounded by Prince Drehar. Fuck you, Prince Drehar. His army, entire army. But out of the smoke, the Valyrians stand ready for battle. We're like, okay, we have a little bit of, we have a simmer, glimmer of hope here. The crab feeder's men charge at Damon. And then Sea Smoke, a dragon we have not seen yet, Lenor Valyrian's dragon, Dracaris, baby, burning shit down. Sea Smoke looked awesome. He was like this white and blue kind of icy dragon. What? How? Describe his uh, appearance there. Yeah, I, you you pretty much nailed it. He had this whitish bluish hue and tint to him. Looked really cool. And obviously, if you're looking at it, you might be thinking. Uh, at first, if you're not paying attention, because there's a lot of different dragons that are shown in this episode, maybe you're thinking, oh, well, you know, Damon had his dragon, so maybe someone just jumped on Damon's dragon, but no, like, this dragon was completely different than Craxus. Like, Craxus had, like, the two legs that splay out to the side. This one was just, like, a generic dragon that looked like uh, Rhaegal, like Viserion, Drogon. Drogon. So it had, like, the regular legs, just so you knew it was a different dragon, and like you said, it was Sea Smoke, and Laenor Velaryon was on its back... <laughs> like just having a badass time mowing these fuckers down with the fire it was really cool man i i, I was awesome oh it was awesome and then the armies collide and sea smoke this was awesome just like how danny did with the scorpions he was burning those archers down on the top of the field there and it was sick uh, Damon then sees the crab feeder retreat to his little cave, little hermit crab there, going back in his cave of wonders. <laughs> and uh, Corlys Valyrian, I thought this was cool. We got to see him kick ass, man. He has that big ass axe. How unique was that shit? That was badass. He was just cutting people down. We even saw Vaymon do, you know, he had his little sword out. He was doing what he could, you know. He was. He's, you know, helping the troops there, helping the troops, being a, a man of honor. And then Damon sprints off to go take what's rightfully his into that fucking cave. I <laughs> gotta be the king, the king of the Stepstones, baby. And then we hear Sea Smoke again. Sea uh, uh, Smoke is just, you know, screeching and breathing fire as Lenor says, Dracarys. And the field is this was a badass moment it was like insinuated with flames like he just burned that whole fucking field at that point and sea smoke flies off into the sky and damon slowly exits this cave and you're like what the fuck and you see he's holding the leg of the crab feeder and it's only half the the crab feeder it was the arm he was holding the arm it was the arm. I yeah. can't tell him the it arm. Was like, it was, like, it was just one arm, and he was dragging one arm, and then obviously I'll let you tell him what we ended up seeing there when the camera panned to the to him. Oh, so punny. He was dragging. <laughs> he was dragging, baby. But yeah, okay, so he was holding his arm. Good call. Yeah, because it was his upper torso, and it was leaking out blood and intestines, and he drags it slowly to the sand where his entire intestines is on the sand and being washed by the water with the blood, and he lays him there. And Damon just looks at the army, blood all over his face, like, of the crab feeder there. That was sick. Like, did not give a fuck. 
and he he had uh, Dark Sister in his hand. The battle is won, and uh, sea, smo- sea Smoke is roaring above, and Damon's face is just soaked in uh, in the crab feeder's blood, and the episode ends. Badass episode, baby. Let's fucking go. What were your takeaways from that episode? Yeah, it was a really cool episode. Uh, and I, I what I found really funny... And you know, one of the best parts about the internet is they they move fast. And if you guys have ever seen the documentary, the Michael Jordan documentary called The Last Dance, anytime uh, Michael Jordan took something personally, he would make it. Uh, he would go balls to the wall and make sure he won whatever confrontation it was. Like he used to make up situations where a player would say things about him that he never said he didn't like the way a coach looked at him and he took that personally decided to drop 64 points on their head and stuff like that and i saw this meme and it was perfect because they were losing the battle and the, the war in the stepstones and as soon as Viserys sent the letter saying they were going to bring aid to him it pissed damon off and so i saw this meme of michael jordan sitting in that chair during like the last dance documentary and it was, and it had Damon's armor on Michael Jordan's body, and it said, "When Viserys sent that note uh, telling he's going to bring us some aid, I took that personally." <laughs> so I thought that was awesome. Badass. And then, like, obviously, he basically kills the entire army by himself. Not by he obviously doesn't kill them all by himself, but he's responsible directly for destroying the triarchy. You know, he he sacrificed himself in a way. Obviously, he, he survived, but he did everything on his own. Like you said, from pulling up, rowing that boat to the shoreline, grabbing the white flag of truce or surrender, going to give up his sword, and all of a sudden just mowing motherfuckers down, making his way to the the uh, middle of the area, drawing everyone out. Like, he was the bait, and he played it to perfection. And like you said, he he ended up uh, closing out the episode with just dark sister in his hand, blood on his face, and you know it was it was showtime, baby. It was showtime. But yeah, in terms of like my overall takeaways, though. It was a really cool episode, and I think it was a good episode in a few different ways. It was a great episode because it set things up for the future. It talked about how Viserys was having second thoughts about who he named heir when he had that little drunken conversation by the fire with Alicent. He had Otto Hightower trying to convince Alicent that she needs to make the king see reason that he should be naming uh, Aegon heir. So that those are big things that are coming that are going to come into play as of right now. Everyone's together, but they're starting to sow the seeds of discord amongst the important people. Allison's the queen. Otto's the hand. You know, that these are important people who are starting to you know, see things a little bit differently than the king, and that's going to be a big conflict going forward. And on top of that, it closes out this episode with badass action. You know, we see Damon mowing people down with Dark Sister. We see dragons flying, sea smoke, Dracarysin the fuck out of the damn triarchy, and it was really, really cool. It was a great blend of uh, and for information symbolism with like the white heart sort of deal too and then we were seeing Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra's relationship getting closer as well you know all these things there's this is a really good setup episode that had action to it and, and I you know if I'm gonna give it uh, a scale of one to ten I look at that that bad boy 9.4 I give it a little 9.4 out of 10 that's really good for me it just it had a little bit of everything it had symbolism it had foreshadowed it had full circles it had action just had a lot of really great moments and there was 
just a few things maybe I would have liked to tinker with here and there, just because in my mind, nothing's ever really perfect, but it's a great third episode to really keep you engaged, and it, it had something for everyone. For people who like the details and the politics side of stuff, it had that. For people who like the action and the fights and the cool scenery, it had that, you know, and it's just, it, like I said, I think it had something for everyone. So that was my overall takeaways. Great episode, had a little bit of everything, like to see it, 9.4 out of 10. What about you? 100% agree. Yeah, it, it, it had uh, great detailed writing, especially with like the symbolism, like you were saying, all the foreshadowing moments there that were phenomenal. The action was great. By the way, side note, Damon didn't say one fucking line. <laughs> he still like stole the fucking show at the end there. How badass was that? Um, but yeah, and I, I think, I mean, you know, one thing they've done fantastic about this series is they've stuck to, like, the bread and butter. They haven't tried to overblow us with visuals either. But we've also gotten the visuals. Like, no one would have thought we would have saw, like, sea smoke at the end. Like, I was thinking when I first saw that line of flame, I was like, oh, well, Caraxes just showed up. Like, no one's even riding on him. Like, he's just helping out Demon. <laughs> like, I assume, but which wouldn't even really make sense. You're just kind of like, how did another dragon get there? And you forget the Valyrians can ride dragons. So it had surprises, had great riding and takeaways with uh, symbolism and foreshadowing events. Also, you are seeing these characters come into their own. You're seeing a little bit of the rebellious side of Rhaenyra, but her father trying to rekindle what is still there. Um, it, it was excellent. So, uh, you know, I'll give it a 9.4 as well, man. I, I give it a 9.4 as well. So what uh, debates did you have for today? I'm not even sure if this really counts as a debate more than an observation that I want to discuss. Because I told you we were going to talk about this when I mentioned it when you were going through the summary. With Viserys telling Rhaenyra she's not going to be supplanted, she's going to remain heir, and she will be the ruling queen when he dies. I think if he would have just... He had everyone in the realm there celebrating Aegon's second name bay. If he would have just reaffirmed that with the entire kingdom, it could have saved so much of what is to come in in sort of the uh the back and forth and and you know deciding what's best for the realm if he would have just took in center stage and been like yo we're really excited to hear that my firstborn son is you know turning two we're really happy to you know expand the family but i'm just reiterating that does not change things going forward you guys all swore fealty to rhaenyra she is going to remain my heir and she will be the ruling queen when i die if he had just reaffirmed that with the entire realm that was there celebrating aegon's second name day it would have saved a bunch of headaches and a bunch of problems going forward because at that point in time they were all there expecting him to say oh we're gonna name aegon heir aegon's gonna be the heir but instead he instead of taking one side or the other what he did and just kind of ignored it and just assumed that everyone knew his wishes if he would have just reaffirmed and said to the entire realm no this is still the plan i know i have a son here that changes nothing though my daughter is still going to be the ruling queen when i die it would have saved everything what do you think absolutely i don't i do want to say this though i don't think it would have exactly saved everything i think you still would have had people in the realm that probably brought it to question because you are you know you're definitely kind of making up your own rules here have we said you know this is definitely i think some people would have i think some people in the realm would have still questioned it but it would have made it a lot clearer 
So you wouldn't have any of this back and forth going forward. You would be, you know, especially with the core party here, like Alicent and that sort of thing. The This goes into the fact of what I was saying is this is my problem with him as king. This is the difference between him and Jaehaerys, which is why, you know, Jaehaerys, you know, for 60 years, they didn't have any problems because it's almost like he tries to please people. Like he said today, you know, he... He was, you know, he feels like he can, he always has someone he has to anger. It's not about pleasing people being king. I mean, then again, this day and age, we know, you know, we have a society that votes on things. But if he would just speak his mind about things, but instead, you know, this is where alcohol plays a role. Instead, he like buries his thoughts deep down because he doesn't feel like making someone angry and then goes and starts reminiscing on dreams and people believe what they want from that which goes into what we were saying in episode one uh damon straight up tells him you're weak (laughs) like a part of being a strong king isn't just being physically strong you have to be strong with the people influencing you around you and it, it seems like he does just like he was saying with Otto. you know at least Otto backed down for a minute and was like we won't speak about it but it's like it, it, he couldn't almost handle himself. You can say he was strong to the fact of like he got really upset and emotional about it and was uh, saying he didn't feel like dealing with the situation and it coming to his face. No, he could have simply said, you know, a true king, I think, would have said, you know, I appreciate your interest and this is different, but Rhaenyra will not be supplanted. And I'm going to make this clear. And that's all he had to say. But because you're doing a lot of this back and forth damage control the next day, man, I'm, I thought this was going to be a party. I thought we were going to going to have a, you know, a, we were going to have the ball drop in King's Landing. I thought this was a major birthday party and now everyone's celebrating, you know, celebrations for heirs. That's not what I intended. Well, unfortunately, because he can't make things clear, you have a lot of back and forth and unfortunately episodes to come that we can't talk about that's part of the reason why because he never makes anything clear and i think it goes into exactly what uh damon says he's weak and that's his biggest problem that's my biggest problem with him being king it's not that he's a mean cruel guy it's the fact that he's just weak and uh, unfortunately sometimes a weak king doesn't necessarily mean you're what's best in interest for the realm you can have a spot on the council but you might not be the best to actually rule. So that's just my thoughts on it. To be fair to Viserys, I mean, this doesn't really give away anything, but later on in the episodes, they refer to him as Viserys the Peaceful because he did live his entirety of his reign so far yeah. without any sort of problems, that is right? True. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the biggest problem that they had was this the issue in the step zones and they handled it. So even though you consider him weak, he was really good at the pleasing of everyone to keep the realm intact and in order. Uh, yes, he wasn't great at showing force most of the time or getting people to fear him. That that wasn't really his MO, so to speak. He was just very adept at... Try- he, was, he maneuvered the political side of ruling very well, in my opinion. You know, he did his best to 
please everyone that where he could. And unfortunately, that does will probably come to bite the next chapter of this in the ass eventually and all that. But I don't want to give anything away there. It's just he, because he – I want to say he was – I don't know if it was fear or he just refused to do it. But he never really seemed to take a strong stance on a lot of things until he was absolutely forced to. Until so like, you know he was brought for like – you know, and and going into what we're going to talk about next week, there's one line, and I'll, I'll say it now because it, it's fine. But Viserys and Damon talk, and he, Damon says, "You like, who cares what people think? You are the dragon. Your word is truth and law." Like he's trying to get Viserys to realize, like, dude, just understand the power you have, man. Like you know, and and it just seems that uh, Viserys is, just sees himself as above petty things as a brute force and shows of strength, and then. You know, but sometimes that's the way to get people, you know, people to respect you in a way. It's I'm gonna do this, and I don't care what you think about it. And, and if you've got a problem, we'll do something about it. And that's kind of Damon's mentality. Like that's what, how Damon views things. But Viserys, it's very clear he doesn't. He he's very much. I don't want to call him Switzerland, you know, but he sits the fence on a lot of issues. Like he didn't want to fight in the step zones, even though it was bad for the kingdom because they were ruining trade routes and they were really harming like House Valarian because that was their their best like trade route. And he didn't. It took him till Allison said, "Well, is the crab feeder surviving good for the realm, or is it better if he's destroyed?" You know, it just it, it, they he has to be given shown the real negative side of stuff before he finally makes a decision. He's very indecisive. That's what I'll say about King Viserys is he seems indecisive until he's pinned into a corner and needs to make a choice. And at that point, he is pretty good about being consistent, um, you know, as we're going to see in the coming episodes of, you know, his the decisions he makes and, you know, how he stands on those. But for the most part, when it comes to smaller little things, it just seems that he's very passive. I'll say that. Absolutely. So for my debate for the day, it actually goes into, remember uh, our boy, the rogue prince, lost his temper there, lost his cool there. Think about that, beating the shit out of the guy that was told to hand deliver the message. Like clearly this guy, I think a lot of people don't realize that he must be thought of very highly by Viserys to go hand deliver a message like that. But the letter from Viserys, once again, I want to reread it. It said, brother, I have ordered 10 and 2,000 men to set sail from King's Landing to join the effort in the Stepstones. Through time and circumstance, I have seen us estranged. No, that is not my desire to see you fail in your cause. It is instead my hope that this aid will deliver the victory that has thus evaded us. I shall pray nightly to the gods for your safe return. So my debate here today is... Did Damon get so pissed because he saw that as a sign of disrespect because he thought maybe he would have sent dragons there or a lot more of a force? Whereas in Viserys, do you think in Viserys' mind, he was doing all he could to help out and Damon is, in, in this case, just was expecting too much? Or do you think it was really uh, Viserys was trying to keep the peace with his brother but chose to send this instead because it was really more of a sign of disrespect or uh, just to make this clear, this was really what he was expecting was all the help he could give because if we go to back 
if we go back to last episode when he was talking to Rhaenyra, as he said, dragons were something that Targaryens should have never trifled with. So he feels like they should have never bought, brought dragons into that war in the step zones. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think when it's just to go back to that last part, the point that you were talking about with the dragons and how they're something they never should have trifled with. I think that's more so in the history of, of their their time versus right now in the step zones. I think the step zones are just uh, an extension of that of, hey, we probably should have never messed with dragons to begin with when this all started, when whoever grabbed the first dragon, they grabbed it. But um, <laughs> anyways, this is what I think. I don't I don't necessarily think it's either of those things, to be honest with you. I think it was well-intentioned by Viserys when he sent help to Daemon because he didn't want to. He had, he even said in this episode, uh, you know, the this is a war started by malcontents who are upset with decisions that I made. So he was basically saying, no, if you want to do this war, you you disobeyed a direct order from me. You're on your own. Yeah, that, that's how it was at the beginning of this. Like you're on your own. Like, like, like screw it. You didn't like the decision I made. Well, I'm the king. Well, now you're suffering the consequences of taking it upon your own hands. And then, and like I said, this is, seems to be a theme with Viserys, once someone points out something to him and gives it to him directly, he seems to take it more under consideration. So he, like, that, that took Allison sitting him down and saying, well, look, let's just put it as simplest terms. Is the crab feeder being alive and thriving in the substance better for the realm? Or is it better for the realm if the crab feeder is destroyed which one like you know then and if the answer is it's better for the realm that the crab feeder is destroyed well then you need to send it would make sense for you to send your forces out there and i think that's exactly what happened he he got to see reason and i don't think it was a level of disrespect because i viserys has never really seemed like a vindictive person he's always been quick to forgive and we'll see a little bit of that next week when we talk about certain things so I, I think that him sending help to Damon was well-intentioned. I don't think it was a sign of disrespect. I think Damon took it as a, as a sign of disrespect himself because Damon is known as the, the guy who goes to war, the one who fights, the guy who people look to as a leader. And maybe when Viserys let him know, and I, like I said, I think that letter was well-intentioned, saying, like, hey, like, I don't, I don't want to see you fail. I'm sending some help for you. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of this together. I really think it was supposed to be a sign and a symbol of unity between brothers who have become estranged. And I think Damon took that as, well, you're sucking up the place so bad, Damon. You're not as good as you thought you were, so you're going to need my help. And I think that's what upset Damon is it almost made Damon seem weak in a way, like he couldn't handle his own business on his own, so Big Brother had to step in and help him out. And I don't think that's the way Viserys intended it, but I think that's the way that Damon took it. And Damon's like, no, fuck you. I don't need your damn help. I'm going to go on this damn shore myself. I'm going to take out all these motherfuckers. And I'm going to do it my own way. And I think that's why he was so mad. He read that that letter, and it, and, and it him, it was a sign of disrespect that he needed Big Brother's help, that he just beat the shit out of the messenger. He got he's so mad, he fucking, you know, not, I'm going to say killed the messenger, but in a way, just really, you know, assaulted the messenger for no reason. All the messengers was there to do was just give them the scroll. You know, and I think that's the way Damon took it. Damon took it as you need Big Brother to step in because you can't handle your own battles. And I don't think that's the way Viserys intended it. That's my interpretation. I agree with you 100%. I think that's what it was. I don't think it was, hey, I should send you dragons or anything. I think, just like you said, I think that's exactly what it was. Because if you think back, you know, at this point, remember... Damon hauled ass with Masaria and the dragon egg and basically rebelled with his 
army of county police, the gold cloaks. So I think it, I think it was more of a thing too, like fuck you. You don't realize like the shit I'm doing down here. I got this shit handled myself. Like if it wasn't for me, this whole shit would be going all the way. He could he could have already traveled past the stepstones at this point if it wasn't for me. Like I'm doing this fucking shit on my own and I'm gonna take care of it. And I think it was more of the letter was the icing on the cake. Like, fuck this. You want to find a madman that's going to end this shit today by himself? It's going to be me. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what it was. I think the letter um, was just because of the, the way he decided to take it in his own mind was, you know what? This is the icing on the cake. This is me saying, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do this shit myself my way and this is all gonna be on my hands just like the quarterback if you lose it's all blamed on the coach and the quarterback if you win all the praise is on the coach and the quarterback and Damon props to him man he took that whole thing in his own hands uh you know standing on the edge of a knife as we always say and uh he won that shit for himself wasn't putting up with no shit and as we see next episode, we don't want to give anything away, but he is uh, he is the hero of this battle here, I will say. The rogue hero. But with that, man, I'll let you close us out for today, brother. Before we close out, I want to bring up one more topic to discuss. What do you think the Lannister role is going to be moving forward in this series of the House of Dragon? Because we got introduced to both Tyland Lannister and Jason Lannister today, so we know they're going to play some level of a role. What do you think the role they're pl- they're going to play is? That's a good one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I think, in my opinion, I think the Lannisters, based on their perception already on how you know uh jason was already trying to court rhaenyra and assumed aegon on the throne me personally i think all their money that they flash around keep in mind it's expensive to run an army and i and you know as we've seen in game of thrones of course this is years later the lannisters have a big army like i mean it's not like they're nobodies they don't have dragons but they're not nobodies either and I think they're really going to aid um, Aegon's support with their flashiness in gold <laughs> is what I what I think. And I think uh, Casterly Rock is going to be a big stronghold <laughs> for them there is what I what I uh, ooh, so punny with foreshadows <laughs> is what I what I uh, what I think there what what about you yeah I agree and I'm gonna take it a step further I think that if Rhaenyra accepted Jason Lannister's proposal and whether it goes one of two ways right in his in my in Jason Lannister's mind they were going to drop Rhaenyra's station and make Aegon the heir. So if that happened, you know, there's no issue as far as the Lannisters go because the realm's going to get what it wants. The male heir is going to take the throne and Rhaenyra is not going to cause an issue with it because she'll be the Lady of Casterly Rock, which is one of the most richest seats in all the, all the realm, right? But then if we flip it on the other side, let's say, you know, Viserys 
reaffirms that Rhaenyra is going to be the ruling queen, well then, Jason will be the king consort. And so either way, it works out for Jason, and, and let's say that that ends up becoming the stickler point between the greens and the blacks, as we're going to come to know them here pretty soon, is that you know it's going to be who's going to get this throne, Aegon or Rhaenyra. I think at that point, the Lannister army would be forced to back Rhaenyra because he's the king consort and he's, you know, on her, you know, that's her husband. And so from there, they use all their resources and their, like, strongholds for the blacks. But because Rhaenyra almost disrespected Jason in a way and, and just completely dismissed his marriage proposal and what and the actuality of what happened, and even Viserys almost seems very dismissive of Jason Lannister as well. Like, he gives him this great sphere, and he's like, all right, dude, like, I get it. You're sucking off to me. Get out of my face. Like, you know what I mean? Viserys doesn't seem like he <laughs> likes Jason Lannister much either. And because of that, I think that that's going to push the Lannisters to support the Greens. And I think that's going to be a big problem going forward for the Blacks is because, like we said, the Lannisters are, if not the richest, one of the richest houses in the entire realm. If they're backing one side or the other, that's going to give that side a heavy advantage. So I think that that is what's going to happen. The Lannisters' role and what they're going to play is that because Rhaenyra snubbed Jason and, and acted like the marriage proposal was preposterous and Viserys kind of dismisses Jason as well as just another you know subject that he needs to make somewhat happy but really has no desire to be around him at all, almost treats him like he's just any other guy. I think, because even Viserys even says it, that... Jason Lannister's pride has pride. So it's going to hurt his pride. And so what better way to get back at those people than to take the opposite side in the war to come, right? So I think that that's going to be the role that the Lannisters play going forward. They're going to be a big supporter of the of the team against Rhaenyra. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think that was great. I I agree. I agree. It, uh it's all going up the hill. <laughs> all going up the hill, man. And I'll uh, let you close us out for the day. Sounds like a plan, guys. So this is your very first time joining us. Welcome. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you've been joining us since day one, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. If you're looking to figure out where you can find us, we are on all forms of social media. So please follow, like, subscribe to our channels. We are on uh, Instagram at official ridiculous patronus we are on tiktok at ridiculous patronus we do have a backup instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy backup tiktok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy we're on facebook chase and josh factor fantasy we're on youtube ridiculous patronus we're on uh, twitter rp factor fantasy snapchat rp factor fantasy and we do have our own website ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com so please guys go ahead and leave your reviews whether you use it with spotify for the star ratings or if you use apple Podcasts to write actual uh well thought out reviews we enjoy all the audience engagement when it comes to the podcast itself if you're an apple user you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. If you are an Android user, you can find us on Spotify, on Google Play. We are on Audible. We are on Amazon Music. We're on Podbean, our host site. We're on iHeartRadio. We are on Stitcher. We are on Acast. Anywhere you get your podcasts. Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there, but we are out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.